Matthew chapter 4 and verses 1 to 11. Then Jesus was led by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. After fasting for 40 days and 40 nights, he was hungry. The tempter came to him and said, If you are the Son of God, tell these stones to become bread. Jesus answered, It is written, Man shall not live on bread alone, but on every word that comes from the mouth of God. Then the devil took him to the holy city and had him stand on the highest point of the temple. If you are the son of God, he said, throw yourself down. For it is written, he will command his angels concerning you, and they will lift you up in their hands so that you will not strike your foot against a stone. Jesus answered him, It is also written, Do not put the Lord your God to the test. Again the devil took him to a very high mountain and showed him all the kingdoms of the world and their splendor. All this I will give you, he said, if you will bow down and worship me. Jesus said to him, Away from me, Satan, for it is written, Worship the Lord your God and serve him only. Then the devil left him, and angels came and attended him. When Jesus heard that John had been put in prison, he withdrew to Galilee. Leaving Nazareth, he went and lived in Capernaum, which was by the lake in an area of Zebulun and Naphtali. To fulfill what was said through the prophets, Isaiah, he said, Land of Zebulun and land of Naphtali, the way of the sea beyond the Jordan, Galilee of the Gentiles. The people living in darkness have seen a great light. On those living in the land of the shadow of death, a light has dawned. From that time on, Jesus began to preach. Repent, for the kingdom of heaven has come near. As Jesus was walking beside the Sea of Galilee, he saw two brothers, Simon, called Peter, and his brother Andrew. They were casting a net into the lake, for they were fishermen. Come, follow me, Jesus said, and I will send you out to fish for people. At once they left their nets and followed him. Going on from there, he saw two other brothers, James, son of Zebedee, and his brother John. They were in a boat with their father, Zebedee, preparing their nets, and Jesus called them. And immediately, they left the boat and their father and followed him. Jesus went throughout Galilee, teaching in their synagogues, proclaiming the good news of the kingdom, and healing every disease and sickness among the people. News about him spread all over Syria, and people brought to him all who were ill with various diseases, those suffering severe pain, the demon-possessed, those having seizures and the paralyzed, and he healed them. Large crowds from Galilee The Decapolis, Jerusalem, Judea, and the region across the Jordan followed him. 
I read a a book a few years ago called Join Me by an English guy by the name of Danny Wallace. And I won't go into the details of the story, but out of respect for an uncle who'd passed away, he decided that he wanted to form a group. He didn't know what he wanted the group to do. He just wanted to form a group. So what he did was he put a a passport, an ad into a London newspaper that simply said, join me, send a passport size photo to this address. Didn't say anything else, didn't say what they were joining, didn't say what they'd be doing, it didn't even mention his name. All it had on it was join me and send a passport size photo and it had a post office box address that was attached to the letter. And the crazy thing was, hundreds of letters started arriving with passport size photos and people's details all written on the back. They had no idea what they were joining They had no idea what was going to happen once they had joined. They had no idea who this guy was, but yet they were willing to commit. They were willing to join this organisation. Well, this morning we're going to see Jesus calling his first disciples, but for them it's a very different story. It becomes very clear what it is that they are joining. But we pick it up at the beginning of chapter 4. This is immediately after the baptism of Jesus, which we saw last week. And look at how the chapter starts. Chapter 4, verse number 1. Then Jesus was led by the Spirit into the desert to be tempted by the devil. After fasting for 40 days, he was hungry. He's just been baptised by John. God has spoken audibly from heaven to announce that this is his son. And now Jesus has wandered off into the desert. And he's gone there for a purpose. Did you see what the purpose was? Right there, verse number one. He's gone there in order to be tempted by the devil. That's not something that coincidentally happened when he went out into the desert. That's why he's gone out into the desert. It's no accident or coincidence that the devil is there to tempt him. That is why he's gone there. And there are three temptations that the devil puts before him. The first one's there in verse number three. He tries to get Jesus to turn the stones into bread. Matthew's already told us that Jesus is hungry. He's been fasting for 40 days now. But Jesus responds to this temptation from Satan by quoting the Bible. In fact, in each of the three temptations from, that Jesus experiences, he quotes scripture back to the devil. And this is what he says. Verse number four, Jesus answered... It is written, man does not live on bread alone, but on every word that comes from the mouth of God. The devil's learned his lesson after the first temptation because he's a little more clever with the second one. He actually quotes scripture at Jesus in the second temptation, verse number five. Then the devil took him to the holy city and had him stand on the highest point of the temple. If you are the son of God, he said, throw yourself down for it is written, Psalm 91, he will command his angels concerning you and they will lift you up in their hands so that you will not strike your foot against a stone. And Jesus responds with the obvious answer. He said, You don't do things just to test God. Final temptation comes, and I think the devil's looking a little bit desperate by this point. Verse number eight. 
Again, the devil took him to a very high mountain and showed him all the kingdoms of the world and their splendor. All this I will give you, he said, if you bow down and worship me. I don't know about you, but that sounds weird to me. Does he have the right to offer all of that to Jesus? Well, in a strange way, the scriptures say that there is a sense in which Satan is the ruler of what's happening here on earth at the moment, and it's not too hard to believe that. But whatever, Jesus responds by saying, you only worship the God and creator of this world. I'm not going to worship you because you're dangling some trinkets in front of me. And with that, the devil leaves him. Now, I'm sure that there are some valuable lessons that we can learn in here about how it is that we ought to go about facing temptation as well. I mean, one of the lessons is that, in the end, all temptation is ultimately the same choice, isn't it? Are you going to trust God or are you going to trust your instincts? All of these temptations fit into that category. And pretty much every temptation that we face in life fits into that category. If you know what God has said and there is an alternative to doing that, which one will you choose? But there's another. There's more we can learn from this as well. Another important thing that we learn is that it's helpful to be familiar with what God's word says. The fact that Jesus responds to each of them, these temptations by quoting scripture is a pretty clear indication of that. The better you know your Bible, the better you understand God's mind on the matter, the better equipped you will be to make wise decisions. The better you know your Bible, the better you'll be able to resist temptations. But you know what? I don't think the lesson that we're supposed to learn about Jesus facing these temptations is about us and how we face temptations. It's a lesson about Jesus. Matthew has an important lesson for us to learn. It's a lesson about Jesus and his faithfulness in his relationship with his father. In the face of temptation, in the face of the devil himself, Jesus doesn't flinch. He doesn't waver. He remains completely faithful to his father in heaven. He is tempted and is without sin. Last week we were introduced to John the Baptist. We find out in verse number 12 that John has been thrown into jail and this seems to be the catalyst for Jesus to start his ministry. That's the thing that kicks Jesus off. But Jesus chooses to launch his ministry in a strange way, as Lyndall's already mentioned in the kids' talk. It's a little bit lost on us modern-day readers because they're just places that are mentioned there. But Matthew's readers would have got it completely. Galilee wasn't just a country town. Galilee was kind of the joke place. It was the joke area back in those days. Now, I could give you the modern-day equivalent of what that joke area is maybe in this country, but I have a feeling that all the people from Armidale would be offended by that. I once did a talk uh, where I said that the modern-day equivalent to Jesus being a carpenter from Galilee was like saying that he was a panel beater from Dapto. And one of the ladies in the church came up to me and said, you know what my husband John does, don't you? He was a panel beater. And she said, do you know where he grew up? (laughs) And he grew up in Dapto. But the original readers of Matthew would have got this. As soon as they hear 
that Jesus has decided to launch his ministry and he's heading straight to Galilee because that's where he's going to do it. The original readers would have been saying, really? Galilee? Is that where you want to kick this thing off? But Matthew gets it. Matthew knows why Jesus is doing this. There was a prophecy in the book of Isaiah that spoke about this very thing. And it's quoted there in verse 15 of chapter 4. Land of Zebulun and land of Naphtali, they're two of the tribes of Israel that were right up in the north, the Samaritan end of the uh, of, of Israel. The way to the sea along the Jordan, Galilee of the Gentiles, the people living in darkness have seen a great light. On those living in the land of the shadow of death, a light has dawned. Jesus has come and the light has dawned. The kingdom is coming. What God had promised is now happening and it's happening exactly the way that God promised that it would. When you read through these passages, I don't know whether you, you might have noticed this, but there, there's, there's a bit of a familiar ring. There's a little sense of deja vu when you read through these things. There seems to be some very strong parallels between the life of Jesus and the history of the people of Israel. Things like heading down to Egypt, babies being killed, wandering in the desert and being tempted. I mean, all that kind of stuff happened for Israel back in the pages of the Old Testament. Let me join some of the dots for you. Jesus and his family had to flee down to Egypt. Back in the pages of the Old Testament in Genesis, Joseph and his family made their way down to Egypt and lived there for some considerable length of time. Herod tries to kill the baby Jesus by wiping out all of the baby boys. Well, in Exodus, the Pharaoh tried to do the same thing, tried to wipe out the Hebrews by killing off all the baby boys. Jesus spends 40 days being tempted in the desert. Israel spent 40 years wandering around in the desert. Jesus passes through the waters of baptism in the Jordan River while the people of Israel went through the Red Sea. And in the very next chapter that we're going to look at, we're going to see Jesus on top of a mountain, something that Matthew wants to stress for us, telling God's people how it is that they're supposed to live. Back in the book of Exodus, Moses went up on top of the mountain to hear directly from God how it is that the people are supposed to live. Do you see what's happening here? Jesus is actually reenacting Israel's history. But the big difference this time is that he gets it right. He remains faithful every single step of the way. That's what the temptations were about. Israel had failed abysmally in the wilderness. The reason they end up wandering around for 40 years is because they do repeatedly fail. And every Bible quote that Jesus makes to the devil when he's being tempted in the wilderness, they all come from the one book of the Bible. And that's no coincidence. They come from the book of Deuteronomy. The book that was the law being given to God's people again just before they enter into the promised land. There are so many points in Israel's history where they failed, where they ignored God, where they rejected God. Well, Jesus has come to show how it is to be faithful as one of God's people. Jesus has come to do 
what Israel couldn't do. But the last thing that happens in this section is that Jesus calls his first disciples, starting there in verse number 18. Jesus is walking along the Sea of Galilee and he calls people to join him. He calls them to follow him, to start following him, to trust him and to keep following him. It's quite remarkable what you read, isn't it? Have a look, verse number 18. As Jesus was walking beside the Sea of Galilee, he saw two brothers, Simon called Peter and his brother Andrew, and they were casting their net into the lake, for they were fishermen. Come, follow me, Jesus said, and I will make you fishers of men. At once, they left their nets and followed him. Going on from there, he saw two other brothers, James, son of Zebedee, and his brother John. They were in the boat with their father, Zebedee, preparing their nets. Jesus called them, and immediately they left the boat and their father and followed him. I mean, it's quite surprising, really, isn't it, that that it just happens like that, that Jesus says to these guys, you come and follow me, and they just get up and follow him. Well, the first surprise is the people that he's actually chosen. He's chosen fishermen to be his first disciples, his first followers. And not just fishermen, but fishermen from Dapto or Galilee, now, I think it would be safe to say that uh, fishermen back then, it pretty much is the same kind of uh, occupation as today. The technology may be a little bit different today, but it's just hard, smelly, not so glamorous, not so prestigious work. Now, don't get me wrong, I don't want to sound all snobby about this. I'm sure that being a fisherman is a fine profession and, and my hat is off to all of them and I enjoy the product that you produce very often, so... But if you're establishing a kingdom, are these really the guys that you want to have heading up your team? I mean, if you're going to roll out God's worldwide plan of salvation, is it fishermen that you want in the front line? I mean, if you were asked to get the team together today, who would you get? I mean, you would get some high-powered lawyers, wouldn't you? That would be the first thing you'd do. They, they always seem to be important people to have in right from the very beginning. You'd probably want to get a couple of successful businessmen, people who could put the strategic plan together for you of how you could best do it. Probably marketing people, you'd need them so that you're presenting a clear message that there's no ambiguity in rolling out this kingdom. You'd probably also want to get a couple of celebrities involved, uh, sporting personalities maybe, some that don't have jail time in their past would probably be best. And why not religious leaders? Why not get a few of the scribes and the Pharisees to come? Well, no, Jesus is making a very conscious choice in choosing these fishermen. It says something about the way that God does things. It says something about the upside-down nature of the kingdom that Jesus has come to establish. The kingdom that Jesus is bringing in is a kingdom where humility is important, not position or power or prestige, It's a kingdom where it's more important to serve others than for you to have someone serve you. Jesus has chosen Galilean fishermen in the front line to establish his kingdom. There's a passage in 1 Corinthians that I think sums up this strategy that God has. 
This is what he says to the Corinthians. Brothers, think of what you were when you were called. Not many of you were wise by human standards. Not many were influential. Not many were of noble birth. But God chose the foolish things of this world to shame the wise. He chose the weak things of this world to shame the strong. He chose the lowly things of this world and the despised things and the things that are not to nullify the things that are so that no one may boast before him. Jesus is establishing the kingdom and no one will be claiming that they had a special place or position in that kingdom by right of their occupation or their social standing or their wealth or their intelligence or the warmth of their personality. No one's going to be boasting about what they brought into the kingdom. They're simply going to be humbled by the fact that God's allowed them to be a part of this kingdom. He's chosen the lowly things of this world and the despised things of this world and the things that are nothing to nullify the things that are so that no one may boast. But the second surprise, I think, is the way that these people respond when they're called by Jesus. The fact that they just leave everything, leave the boats, leave the nets, and we're told that James and John even left their dad behind in the boat. I mean, I think it says something about the kind of commitment that Jesus expects from those who are going to be his followers. See, Jesus didn't come and just say to us, here's a couple of rules you might want to think about adopting for your lifestyle. He didn't come and say, just be great if you could all be nice to each other. Jesus calls us to follow him and to follow him wholeheartedly. Jesus turns all of your priorities around. Following Jesus becomes the highest order priority in your life and everything else has to fit in underneath that. And that's what happened to these Galilean fishermen, isn't it? And it's just as true for the followers of Jesus today. Jesus may not be calling you to walk away from your fishing boats or your fishing nets or or your job or your family, but he does want you to make following him the highest priority in your life and that everything else will fit in under that. But then the third surprise comes in what he actually asks these disciples to do. Jesus says that he wants them to be fishers of men. They know what it is to catch fish and Jesus is going to send them out to catch people, to bring people into the kingdom. They'll be working with Jesus to see other people become part of of this kingdom that they have now joined. Now, those three things are just as important for us today as they were for those disciples back then. We have to keep remembering who it is that we are as people who've been called by Jesus to be his followers. As Christians, we don't have anything to boast about when it comes to our relationship with God. It's only by God's grace that we've been permitted into this relationship God didn't save you because you were influential or powerful or successful or clever or talented or well-dressed. That's not it. God has chosen you just because God is gracious. God has saved you because you were sinful and you needed saving. And we need to make sure that we maintain that appropriate level of humility in our relationship with God and in our relationships with each other. 
And what Jesus wants from us is just the same as he wanted from his disciples back then. He wants us to respond wholeheartedly to him. He wants us to be sure that he is our number one priority and all of our other priorities are ordered under that. Following Jesus is not a hobby that fills in a little bit of spare time on the weekend. It's a commitment that changes all of your other priorities. And finally, Jesus expects that we're going to be involved in that fishing industry. He gives us a job to see other people enter into the kingdom, to come and know and trust Jesus the way that we do. We're here to help people enter into that kingdom, to help them to know and trust Jesus as their Lord and Saviour.